Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to drlaurybethbisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist and accredited advanced gender, sex and relationship diversity therapist, a sex and intimacy coach. And I have spent the last 35 years helping people to create and maintain incredible relationships that contain sizzling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. And this week, the letter is X and X is for exasperated. Yes, I know that's not appropriate spelling, but you try finding loads of things for the letter X. And joining me today is Barry Lynn. Barry Lynn has been on the show before, but to refresh your memory, he is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. He's a member of the Supreme Court Bar, and he's written several books and done lots of other interesting things that we'll talk about. But his new book is the only one he's actually satisfied with. And his new book is a memoir. So I'm welcoming you to the show. It's lovely to have you. It's great to be back here. It really is. This is the only book. It's actually three books. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a high school student who came up to me after at a party. He said, Mr. Lynn, I want to do what you do when I get out of school. And I looked at him and I said, what is it you think I do? And he said, I think you get paid to piss people off. And of course, uh, it fits in so well with this. And, and so you named the book Paid to Piss People Off. And it's true, I, isn't it? Yes, I, I've done a lot of that. I mean, I like to think that it's an important part of what activists need to do to get attention to their cause, to use the rules of government against government. I'm not an anarchist, but I sure think most of what government does is detrimental to who human beings are. And nothing so much as in the world's realms of religion and of course, sexuality. So this is, I mean, apropos, given what's going on in the world, that we are now in an incredible battleground around sexuality and gender again, Um, but one that now the pressure of the craziness, in my view, is coming from both the left and the right. It's now gotten really crazy on the left, and it's always been really crazy on the right. So you have some longevity in this. What do you think about what's going on? I think that it is true that there's craziness on the left and the right. But I have to say, I think the real, the super craziness is still on the right. And when it came to pornography, which is something we talked about when I was on the show last time, there is there are some interesting criticisms from left wing feminists. I don't deny that they're feminists. I just think they're wrong about this. Maybe we can talk about that. But most of the efforts to censor material now is coming from the extreme right. Absolutely. Uh, perhaps your listeners heard of a um, an incident in the state of Florida just a couple of weeks ago where a woman was forced to resign her job as a teacher 
because she showed sixth graders a photograph of Michelangelo's statue of David. Yeah. Now, that was so bizarre. But I remember back in 25 years ago or so, when I was following the pornography commission set up under the Ronald Reagan administration, that I walked into a room one day and they were having a debate here these government officials having a debate about whether Michelangelo's David was in fact pornographic because you could see the penis. The absurdity and- of that <laughs> and, and the hypocrisy of that. So it's okay if we sexualize women. Yeah. It's always okay if we sexualize women. Um, but to see the penis not in a state of arousal, not in in um not in even relationship to anybody merely as a portion of the anatomy exactly it's not pornographic the two people who on that commission of 13 people the two people who were most convinced it was pornographic one of them was a catholic priest who turned out according to a number of journalists and the state attorney general in new york he apparently was paying young men not children to stay with him in his hotel room. He was later asked to leave New York uh, and he served a lot of the rest of his time, uh, I, I guess, talking to cows in India. And the other was Dr. James Dobson. James Dobson may be known to some of your listeners. He, was, he started out as a, a commentator on CBS radio and he gave parental advice. And you know some of it wasn't too terrible. But then he turned to a very, very dark side. He started railing against the Playboy philosophy. He started the the, uh, lobbying group, probably the most homophobic, anti-sex, anti-common sense lobbying group in the United States. And uh, he too uh, was just, he was really upset. James Dobson came up to me one day in a restaurant about a year after, because I traveled around the country watching this pornography commission. He came up to me in a restaurant. And he said, you know, Barry, I, I hate everything you stand for, but, but I tell you, you destroyed all the good work we tried to do. And, you know, there wasn't any good work. And to the extent that they even listened to, at the time, uh, kind of the occasional feminist critique of pornography, they didn't understand it. They took nothing from it. And uh, it was just terrible. There were four women on the commission, uh, three of whom dissented from its conclusions. And uh, it was... uh, kind of a surprise because most people thought, oh, they're women, they will be horrified by all of this. One was, she had been a former uh, editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine. And uh, then at the time of the commission, she was the editor of Woman's Day. One day, uh, since I traveled around with them, there's a a wonderful uh, feminist writer in New York. And she and I kind of dogged them around and. We went to Houston, Texas. They wanted to go on a field trip of porn stores. A field trip? A field trip on a bus. We actually sat on a bus and we go into a couple of these. These are sleazy places. I mean, these are not the kind of uh, sex shops that you find in United States uh, shopping malls now, you know, where they're bright lights, dildos all lined up on the basis of color and size. These, these <laughs> are places where there is water running down the floor. So we get to the third one, which is possibly the worst. And at the time in the United States, this was before there were DVDs. If you wanted pornography, you had to go to an adult theater or you had to go to one of these adult stores. So we went in and uh, bought tokens. At the time, you took a little token, you put it in, uh, some porn. And there were buddy booths where you could watch with your friends or perhaps watch and do something else. So here I am with Ellen Levine and the chairman 
of the Porn Commission, a man named Henry Hudson, who now regrettably is actually a federal judge in the United States. Oh my. Yeah. So we're watching two gay men wearing green monster masks, having a sexual encounter. So Henry says to me, so Barry, when you testified before us, you said all of these images, all of this material has messages. What's, what do you think the message is here? And I looked at Henry and I said, uh, try it, you might like it. <laughs> Ellen was hard pressed at the time uh, to refrain from uh, laughing because uh, she had already turned sour. And there was a, a, there was a psychiatrist uh, from Columbia University and I had had lunch with her a week before. She interviewed and did studies both of rape victims and of rapists. And at, toward the end of this conversation, she said, you know, Barry, I have never seen in my clinical practice a single rapist who was a rapist because of pornography. And, you know, but these are the things that people in that commission did not want to talk about. They thought if you found, and I think most of the anti-porn forces around the world think if you find the worst, the single worst image you could possibly find, that will convince people that every bit of sexually explicit material is menacing and dangerous to everyone. Well, and it's unfortunate because people don't understand that um, there's just no evidence that this is true. And in fact, if anything, this pornography sometimes acts as a kind of release valve for people. Um, they also don't know how to read research. So that's my other bugbear. My <laughs> other bugbear is, is most definitely um, the one that says um, they believe that a relationship is causation, which right. is always given, which is always giving me a problem. Sure. The relationship they don't understand. Like if you look at things like they'll say there's a relationship between violent pornography and rapists. Yeah, rapists like violent sex, so they watch right. more pornography. That's more likely to be the relationship then the violent pornography caused the rapists. Absolutely. And I think the, the, the evidence that you're talking about is really overwhelming. I mean, there's nobody, even people who say 20 years ago, when this Mies Commission was floating around, even the people who found what they initially claimed was some kind of connection between violence in cinema, pornography and R-rated movies, um, by the time the commission got done examining it, critiquing, mixing up, messing up the research that these people did, they started to kind of flip out. And they went, there was a big article in the Washington Post newspaper about how their own evidence had been misused by the porn commission. I remember I was on a, a Good Morning America show with a woman from New York who was a leader of something called Women Against Pornography. And uh, she, she went on about this, it causes rape. And I said, look, it doesn't cause rape. If Here's what it might be. It's not a recipe book for rape. It might be just a recipe book for masturbation. Then the host of the show, at the end, I said, you know, I probably shouldn't have said masturbation. And she said, uh, We'll get a lot of mail about that, but, you know, but you shouldn't get all it's it's the, the religious right has so captured these issues. They spend literally millions and millions of dollars, not just on their their favorite candidates, but also trying to suppress this material. I mentioned a few minutes ago that I like to use the instruments of government against government. I'm mm -hmm. not a you know not an anarchist, but this sure a lot I don't like. When the Pornography Commission was established, they set certain rules, and one of those dopiest from the perspective of history is they said we're not going to ever comment on our work until we're finished with the process, which gave me like a whole year where I could go out 
and criticize everything they said. And then when they'd go to talk to Henry Hudson or members of the Pornography Commission, they would say, we have no comment on that, we're waiting. So one time they, they were having a discussion about the prospect of having a total national ban on sex toys. So I heard about that and I was there and I, so I called a couple of the people who were most friendly to non-censorship in the media. I said, well, here they are. They're considering a total ban on sex toys. And so the new, the uh, Washington Post the next day had porn commission considers sex toy ban. Needless to say, uh, it did, that idea did not come to fruition. But, but there's still laws, but there are laws I about know. sex toys in the United Absolutely. States. Absolutely. There are several there's states. Utah, Utah, you can't, have, no, Nevada, you can't have a sex toy. So prostitution but, is legal in Nevada, yes, but I, sex toys are not. Right. Well, but it, the whole thing, when we think about sex, we think about it as a culture in the worst and dumbest possible ways I don't know if you knew this, this one named Annie Sprinkle, who was in a lot oh, of- Oh, yeah. Oh, amazing. And she she uh, she passed out a, a little thing during, I don't think they invited her to testify, but she passed out this leaflet that said, I think pornography sometimes is bad for people. Sometimes it's good for people. Sometimes it hurts people. Some, most times it doesn't. But she said openly and honestly, you have to look at this from the perspective of how it affects people, good, bad, and otherwise. And I think, you know, that's kind of what I think. I was interviewed by somebody last week and he said, how can you as a minister, how can you defend pornography? I said, because I recognize there's a difference between morality and legality. And Thank you. I, may not, I may not like every pornographic image, but I'm not the measure of that. I think the standard for, you know, we have this obtuse definition of pornography yeah. in the United States, but the community standard that should matter is the community that consists of you and your bedroom. That's it. You go beyond that and you're starting to intrude dramatically on the right of people to be and do, do what they want and to see what they want. It's really difficult because, um... The censorship is so bad at this point that, and I think I, I mentioned this before, that because of SESTA-FOSTA and an effort to protect children, and that's often the thing that's used, well, we're going to protect children. You know, I have to say that in my, my experience um, working in this field, including working in family court for over 30 years as an expert, um, lots of pedophiles actually do things like look at clothing catalogs. Like they can get stimulated by you know going to the sea and watching the children at the seaside or the, or the pool sure. they don't necessarily need pornography and the pornography that they access is not the pornography that's available to the general public i mean it, it's not the pornography that that gets ends up getting censored it's their own specialist pornography and it's you know under the table under so it's not what you're going to see on your your pay-per-view <laughs> website no, or, the, or in the old days on the DVDs, right? It just is, and so I found myself in the position of an expert often saying to people, I am not the morality police. Yeah. My job is not to say whether or not it's a good thing that this woman is um, a porn actress. That's not my job, right? No. I have my own views and my own <laughs> views are if she's not coerced and she's happy doing what she's doing, more power to you, but it's not my job. My job where there's children involved is to make sure that the boundaries are good so that there is no harm or neglect. That's my job. Exactly. And SESTA FOSTA meant that all of the educational stuff, I mean, I'm still constantly censored for educational stuff, right? Sure. Um, in fact, we're more censored than the pornography is. Yeah. Yes. Right? Speaking of censorship, I attempted to take an advertisement out on Twitter, now controlled by Elon, I am in favor of free speech, Musk. Yes. 
So I tried to take it out. I submitted the ad. It had the title of the book, Paid to Piss People Off. About an hour later, I received a note saying that I could not advertise because of inappropriate content. Now, what the hell is inappropriate? <laughs> the word piss. Oh, my God. Off. Now, see, in 1972, there was a great uh, comedian in, in the United States named George Carlin. Yes. George Carlin did a routine called Seven Dirty Seven words. words. And guess what? This was this one was of those one of words. That. So that, and then I thought, okay, so they don't want to take an ad. Then they took down my posting that used the same word. And I, I decided not to fight it because I, I, I called a couple people up and they said, just just add to your publicity that you've been banned by Twitter. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now, and so I, I, I very, I mean, you know, George Carlin's routine, the seven, seven words you can't say on television yep. was one of my favorite routines. I grew up on <laughs> that. I passed that on. Um, we could all say it word for word because we learned it when we were, you know, teenagers. Um, sure. But um, it's it's amazing to me. I have never managed successfully to take out an ad on Twitter or on Facebook. I yeah. have had because they look at what I do and it says sex in sure. what I do and sure. they censor me there. And, you know, I've tried and I just gave up um, what I I know people who. Um, have looked at this for the industry and um, for the sex education industry, for the sex sure. and wellness industry, as well as for the adult entertainment industry. And actually social media as a means for getting the word out for us or driving traffic or customers is useless. Nope. We, we yes. have to use our own websites and we have to use <laughs> our search engine optimization because otherwise people won't find us. I have a television show that I'm on. Um, yeah. You know, it's we're about to, to the second season is is coming out sometime in the next month and a half. It's called Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. That's a television show on Channel 4 in the United Kingdom. So one of the terrestrial channels. And I have had I have had posts taken down on every single social media site because right. it says sex experiment, the great exactly. sex experiment. <laughs> we had a an interesting kerfluffle. Uh, I guess it was worldwide over a, a website called OnlyFans. Yes. OnlyFans, of course, is generally um, has a lot of adult performers. And during the COVID time, I, I, I don't know many of the current, you know, uh, adult film actresses, but I used to know many of them. And uh, there was an effort by credit card companies not to take any kind of, yes. and it, it, it irritated me, but I, the comedians that used it, they said, you know, Barry, you ought to do tell some stories. So I applied, you have to fill out a form. And yep. again, the title, they wouldn't touch it. Yep. <laughs> there, there is a wonderful, I hope it's streaming everywhere, including uh, in Scotland and Britain. Uh, it's called Money Shot. And it's about uh, Pornhub, which is a, a great. Yes, project. I've seen it. Yeah. And I assumed, frankly, when I watched it, that it would be one of these. Oh, it's terrible. Everything is horrible. It had these wonderful uh, adult actresses that including ones that by conventional standards are not beautiful people. No, but they're talking about how important it is. And they did toward the end of the thing, probably last 90 minutes. Toward the end, they, they said, you know, we can't find much evidence of anybody being coerced into performing and there was so much with that because that they really tried to make the slant to the show about you know it's ultimately they had this one woman who kept saying everything is coercive and i was looking at the the larger woman the curvy woman is the yep. one you're talking about i can't remember her name but she won awards right and and she was like did it, do i look like i'm easily coerced right exactly I, I, what I find so frustrating about a lot of this is that, and that was the left wing having yep. an issue with it. That wasn't the right wing. The left uh, wing, the left wing's issue is that, um, if let me make sure I'm getting this correct, it, um, all porn, although it's got it's got a slant now. It used to be all porn is inherently coercive, right? Because it devalues women. However, there's a new slant to it. Queer porn is acceptable. Yes. 
But anything that might have any kind of a heterosexual bent is inherently not. Which I'm like, so really you think you get a right to control people's desires. Like I'm trying to expand people's horizons. I'm not telling people who are heterosexual that they don't get to desire what they desire. But apparently you can't choose that desire because it's inculcated into you because of the, um, the, the, how you're brought up culturally, which I find actually quite offensive. Yeah, that it is. People, and people believe that people with brains can't actually deconstruct some of that. Right. The, the, the two things you just mentioned. One is the issue of, of children. Um, the Pornography Commission had, in its very first meeting, uh, one of these FBI agents who made his entire career out of fighting smut. But he, he did concede that pedophiles generally, when you look at their collections, they almost always have a copper tone advertisement, you know, for a sunscreen. Yeah, the one with the girl with the, with, the yeah, with, the, with the dog pulling down yeah, yeah. partially. And if that turns you on, man, you can't predict that. You cannot make a distinction. You cannot draw on science to help you define what is going to bother people and why. But anybody with any sexual interest at all is certainly going to be bothered by some of what exists in the realm of pornography. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I have worked at the time for the American Civil Liberties Union, and I really worked hard to um, to be their point person against this pornography suppression. And I did think that there was one thing in American law that ought to be extended, and that is the concept of sexual privacy. I think if you have, for example, an underage person or a person who was coerced into making pornography, that 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 individual should have a right under American law to go make his or her case and then have something happen because of it. And the ACLU at the time kind of, no, they didn't want to do that. And I understand why, because the ACLU, and I agree with them, you don't want to restrict minors' access to um, uh, abortion services, to contraception on the basis of their age alone. I do understand that, but this is very different. The ACLU at the time, actually supported some laws in the state of New York that prohibited the intrusion on privacy caused by, let, let's say, I mean, the, the, the uh, director at the time of the ACLU was a guy named Ira Glasser. So let's say Ira Glasser, they put up a picture of him on a billboard in Times Square next to some product he doesn't want, implying that he, so they're taking his commercial yeah. advantage and they're doing that. And I said, this is very similar to the kind of thing I was suggesting. And another thing that comes up in the movie in in, uh, Money Shot is the fact that credit card use for things like dial-a-porn, that even still exists. Um, If you, there was a a congressman, very conservative congressman for Virginia named Blyley, Congressman Blyley was a huge supporter of mine when I was trying to prohibit uh, them curtailing cigarette advertisements. And I, you know, I went in I, to his office once and I said, you know, this, this First Amendment we have, it works best when it's seamless, when it covers everybody. And when you cannot use the argument well, a, ch- a child might see a cigarette billboard and start smoking. Nobody ever thought that was a primary uh, issue in no. starting to smoke. Nobody ever, including the most liberal you know, consumer advocates in, in the United States. But, um, but I did think that that was important. And, and I said, why don't it, you, tell, you tell the anti-porn people we're going to restrict this, but we're going to require credit cards. And, and the, the uh, right-wing groups came back and said, we well, can't do that. 
Well, somebody might steal their father's credit card. Yes, there might be. It would not be perfect. But if you simply wanted, because at the time, you could literally call from one state into another state. You, I'm having a little construction done here. I'm going to like to. We're go okay. We, we don't hear you. Hear it. Oh, so okay. if you want to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but they rejected that. And of course, um, nothing changed. I mean, nothing changed. So what's interesting to me is that people don't seem to be able to understand that what I might want censored, you don't want censored. And that if we're going to have free speech, then I have to be able to say, okay, they're not censoring me, but they're they're also not censoring you. They don't seem to be able to get that uh, idea that 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 the danger remains who is making the decisions on what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And now right. we have this idiocy in the United States in Florida, where um of the banned books, there was one band that was a book on um on Hanukkah. Yeah. That was what yeah. it was. It was just a book of Jewish practice. Yeah. And another one was that was a book on colors, which I cannot figure out for the life of me why they banned it. It was just this is red, this is purple, this is blue, right? But they banned it. Oh. So that we've got that level of idiocy in some states. We've got yep. the law in Nevada that says you can't have any sex toys, but in Texas, you can have six. You can have six dildos, but no more. <laughs> Well, you got a rest on Sundays. I'm sure that's the reason there isn't. It says that probably, but but in Texas, you can't get, a woman can't get health care now. No, of course. I mean. Because it's, it's so frightening, but they have laws about dildos on the books. Right. That's important. It, it is the censorship of material that is not at first blush, or even if you're blushing five times, anything sexual. I've been a big supporter of uh, something called the Kurt Vonnegut Library and Museum. And it's a marvelous, and uh, during the Foreign Commission days, it was my only time, my only time I met Kurt Vonnegut, but I think he, he to me, he started me reading. I mean, I, I love the Cat's Cradle and some of the early books and I read them and I finally got to meet him. And so they had a press conference. It was Kurt Vonnegut, myself and Betty Friedan who wrote The Feminine Mystique. And uh, we all just, you know, properly dumped on the Pornography Commission and what it was doing. And that's the kind of breadth. I am sure Betty Friedan would not have gone into porn. It was a store and go, oh, I like everything. That's not the point. The point is, if you don't like it, please don't use children as the excuse for controlling what adults can see. In this book, I talk a lot about all these efforts to uh, suppress things, ideas, images. And I said, you know, if everybody got their way, if everybody who said, we shouldn't have X or Y or Z, we'd be relegated to sitting in darkened caves. And if they had any electricity, they would only have snow and the pages would be blank. Judy Bloom is a great oh, you know, gosh. Yes. <laughs> she and I were on a panel one day somewhere in the Caribbean. I'm sure it was a nice, nice place. So I said to her one, but Judy, what's the weirdest thing you ever heard about being censored? And she said, Well, that's easy. Mad Libs. Mad Libs is a series of books in the 60s and 70s. It had a, the framework of a story and then a lot of blanks. And so if you, and then the person doing it would say to the audience, give me a noun, give and me an adverb. Like, yeah, it was great. I said to Judy, so what was bad about that? And she said, nothing in the book, but they censored it because they didn't think children could be safely allowed to insert words. Thought about thought police. You know, I mean, so so when you say that I was born in 1963. <laughs> so I was born in 1963. Judy Bloom's book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, was yeah. apropos for me to when those things were happening. Like it was, you know, and it was the first book. 
So for yeah. those of you who don't know, her book was about periods, right? Yeah. It was about it was about a young girl's transformation into womanhood and how scary that was and how bizarre that was and all the changes that went with it. It was written for the young adult market. It was phenomenal for young girls who were reading it at the time, right? That was, it was perfect. And it was yep. censored and it was all censored. It was censored because it had to do with periods and we didn't talk about periods. I contrast right. that right now with what's going on on the internet where everybody wants to have a period. Right. So, you know, and, and, and people don't seem to have an understanding of what a period is. Perhaps oh. that's because Judy Bloom was censored because we learned a lot there. Right. Exactly. But, but at the same time, we had Mad Libs and that was a summer camp favorite. Like we sure. had those. We fought yes. to have those and we would go. And that was the thing that the kids did for years and years and years. And yet you're right. They were censored. Well, of course, we used to put all sorts of stuff in there that illustrated the fact that we didn't understand how sex worked or anatomy worked because we had, you know, we were too young, you know, and there was no information because sex education back then. Well, I guess it was better than now. I mean, we got anatomy and we got menstruation and we got procreation and a little bit about diseases. And now half of America doesn't get anything. No. (laughs) So I guess it was better. I don't know. I thought it was pretty crappy, but. Yeah, um, I think it was. You know, they did a survey back in the early 70s about whether they interviewed students who had just gotten out of high school and they asked them, did you have a sex education course? And a vast number of people who had it didn't know they had even been taught sex education. No, because they didn't. Why would they know? <laughs> in Florida, of course, Governor DeSantis has decided you can't talk about menstruation there either. I know, which is just ridiculous. It's a fear. It's it's hard, I think, for people to understand just how frightening the subject of sexuality, the subject of alternative religious viewpoints, that these things are so terrifying to people. There's a book called Charlotte's Web, which is a a wonderful children's book. Fabulous. And and it's been um, it's been censored many places because it has <clears throat> talking animals in it. The last time. Oh, so, I, so the Christians uh, think that those are demons, do they? It could be, but more importantly, there are no talking animals in the Bible. So one of my last effort, or oh my last God. invitations to be in the Fox News channel, they wanted me to get up at five in the morning to talk to a guy who had drawn a series of cartoons called Veggie Tales, where vegetables act out Bible stories. And I think, man, we have, his theory was, if you as a parent allow your child to watch any other cartoons other than Veggie Tales, they will become atheists. What an amazing thing. It used to be that I didn't, I went to seminary. I don't remember how talking animals, bad, talking vegetables, that's okay. That should be well, the literalness, the literalness for me is the thing, the picking and choosing of the literalness. If you're going to be literal, do me a favor, be literal about the whole fucking thing. Excuse me, but that's how I feel, right? And I swear on this show, so it's okay. But everybody can swear on this show. We don't okay. censor words. Um, but, you know, so if you're going to be literal, literal but about the whole fucking book, I have read the whole fucking book. Yeah. I was raised Jewish. I'm still Jewish, but I'm not observant. Um because Jewish is an ethnicity, it's not a religion. It's also the name of the religion that Jews have is Judaism, right? So, um, you know, I've actually read it and I've read the subsequent books. I've read the Talmud and I've read the Christian books. So if you want to be literal, by all means, be fucking literal. None of this was ever meant to be literal, but if that's what you're going to do, do it the whole hog. Stop cherry picking what you're going to be literal with it drives me nuts i'm like oh you're going here and you're saying we can't do this but over here like where is the prohibition against abortion yeah that would be nowhere that would be nowhere because actually (laughs) in in the jewish part of these books in certain circumstances you're required correct now correct 
Now, was there misogyny in the Torah? Absolutely. You know, if a woman got raped and she was single, she got married to a rapist. I mean, right there, it's a beautiful example of fucked up in this in the Bible. But it just drives me crazy that, and I see these some of these preachers, and I think, why can't people think critically when they look at that? If this is the word of God, how come there are so many different Christian sects? Yeah, it. I do is uh, I I still am invited to you know be in churches and give sermons and one of my favorite ones is called something like uh, why Bible literalism and constitutional originalism are the worst ways to make policy in America and yeah. uh, and it, it's it's true and it's it's just shocking to see the number of people who, as you say, cherry pick, and then they, that's supposed to be everything in it. But, you know, if you challenge somebody in the religious right, they, and they throw back some kind of Bible quote for you, you cannot change their mind. It doesn't matter what it no, is. No, it doesn't matter if you actually point out to them that, that either A, no. they got the quote wrong, or B, <laughs> they used the wrong part of the quote. Exactly. My husband, my husband is, um, he was raised Baptist, um, and what he used to do with the pastors, and he left the faith because, because he saw the inconsistencies, and he's a very bright man, and he could sure. quote chapter and verse at you, so they would quote something, and he'd turn around and go, blah, 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 and they'd look at <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, they're, they're embedded. There's nothing you're going to say to change their mind. I think one of the things that we do wrong is we attempt to change people's minds in certain ways. Uh, when it's coming from a place of belief, not, and I don't even want to say a place of faith because I see faith as something different. Sure. When it's coming from a place of belief and it is a fixed belief, there is nothing I'm going to be able to do to shift that bar some very special psycho psychological therapy that they have to be willing to engage in, right? Um, you're not going to shift the belief. What you what you can hope to do is say, okay, that's your belief. And there's some other things over here. And can we have room for the other things? Sure. The, but what we, the mistake we make is we challenge their beliefs and we, you know, we try and fight on the belief level. That never works. No, it's um, I can't say never. I, I want to tell you one one thing. One of the leaders of the anti choice in terms of reproductive care was a, a guy named the Reverend Rob Schenk. And Rob Schenk, I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I had a debate with him, uh, we'd probably both be wealthy. And I learned, I heard that he was changing his mind on some issues. And so I called him up and uh, I said, I interview people for this podcast most weeks. And I said, would you come on the podcast? Tell me about your journey over, particularly over abortion. And it was, he changed his mind totally. And he says on the podcast, I was in jail one day and there was a, a woman in a cell, not too far. She had four children. She was pregnant again. She was crying. She was wailing. I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't have another baby. And so I thought, what? and then at the end of the podcast, he, uh, he apologizes to me. He just says, you were right. I should have listened to you 30 years ago, but I didn't. And then I said, why don't you blurb that? Write a little thing for um, my book. So he wrote this, I observed Barry Lynn during the difficult dance between faith and social policy for three decades, regretfully, mainly as his ideological nemesis. Too late in life, I concluded that he was mostly right and I was mostly wrong. This memoir helps me make up for lost time and might even allow others to do the same. It's a great story. It's a, I mean, and, and it's, um, he is, um, he's very open. He now refers to some of the uh, people that he used to work with as snake handlers. And, 
And he made the news right before the Democrats lost control of the House. They invited him to testify about something that he used to do, which he now repudiates. He used to hook up Supreme Court justices with wealthy Republican donors. He said that was terrible. And he's now, you know, being pilloried, of course, by the right. But, but that's he came to a conclusion criminal. based it's on not, the evidence, based on human not, people. I <laughs> love that, that that he came to the conclusion based on the evidence. But what incenses me is that is not it is not above board. It's not legal. It's not acceptable. The judiciary is supposed to be separate. So anything that has um, politicians being hooked up sure. and, and money flowing towards them makes a mockery of the system. It just makes a complete mockery of the system. Oh, it does. We've it got does. we've got some similar craziness going on here. Um, you know, we've got, oh my god. Um, I won't. You know, we've got the situation with Boris Johnson and a various other other um, MPs where you can see their behavior has been contrary to what the law said and their own rules. But one of the worst ones for me is Suella Braverman, and I mean, she will. She's our um, yeah. Foreign Secretary, um, she will. Her views on immigration huh. are petrifying. And one of the worst lines was, "She is a child of immigrants. Her parents would not be allowed in this country based on the the, the view that she has now." And she says, and she thinks that's okay. Wow. And it's just, it's so offensive. It's like, where, where is this? Do you think you have a population support? Well, they don't have the population support. What they have is a system that allows them to do all of this between elections where we have no say. Of course. It, it's the it same is, thing. Uh, it, it, it's completely uh, against what the system was supposed to be. But they get away it, with it. They do. And again, you know, here we have a, an ex-president um, oh. who... Uh, you know, is about to be indicted as we're chatting here. Today, but, yes, he has to yeah, surrender today. But, but it's a, um, I think the thing that makes me craziest in dealing with these people who do not wish to change their mind. There was a woman, uh, an anti-feminist uh, woman named Phyllis Schlafly. I'm surprised that even in America, a lot of people, younger women, don't know who she was. Oh my God, I remember Phyllis Schlafly. <laughs> believe you me, I she got was... I got told that they were doing the week that my show came out um, was there was like it was like a a, a memorial thing because it was an anniversary of hers, right? And uh, so it was yeah. juxtaposed, and and I. <laughs> I, I I was interviewed for a newspaper who, who said that I was the very person that she would be against and <laughs> that I was single-handedly getting rid of the Christian way of, uh, way of life. I just. Uh, yep. We, uh, I had a, a, a dinner after doing a show down in Atlanta when C CNN, which of course now is everywhere, but it used to uh, just have kind of homegrown shows down in Atlanta yep. if you wanted to be on it. And there was an extraordinary uh, woman named Sandy Freeman, and she used to have three guests every night, and they talk about this one issue. None of this, okay, three and a half minutes, let's go. Yeah. So afterward, uh, Phyllis and I and a woman who ran something called the Committee to Free Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And uh, that woman had a large purse and she used to carry Soldier of Fortune magazine with her. Um, and uh, I says that to scare away potential boyfriends and she laughed. So Phyllis, this happens on television a lot. You have the debate and then you, you, know, you go out, you have dinner and it's much more interesting what is said at dinner of than course what it is. is said on the television. So I said to her, Phyllis, are there, are there no principles, are there no relationships and a marriage that you think ought to be open to everyone? Are you rigid about that? Men do this, women. And she said, well, there might be some, but once you open that door, then all kinds. I said, give me an example. She said, uh, men should take out the garbage. And I, I mean, she grew up 
was outside of Chicago. And I said, well, wait, wait a minute, because I really didn't know what she was talking about. I said, men should take, why is that? And she said, because there might be animals out of the can, animals. What, escaped elephants, <laughs> zoo monkeys, squirrels? I mean, it was- Raccoons, just, there might raccoons, be raccoons. Be. <laughs> raccoons, we once, you know, we were kind of uh, animal lovers and uh, we had a, a raccoon who was um, trapped in our attic. So we got one of these big have a heart traps. Yeah. We caught it and then we drove one Saturday night out on the parkway near outside of Washington to let it loose where it obviously had come from. We pull in, police car comes right after us. We park in the first parking lot, we open the trunk, we, our hands are on the have a heart trap and a police officer who has his hand on his gun says, what are you doing? I said, we're leaving this raccoon out where it obviously came from. That's a federal law. You cannot release an animal. I said, we're not trying to release, you know, a, a tiger. We're trying to take this animal. <laughs> you can't do that. And if you argue, you know, I'll arrest you. So we put the raccoon and the raccoon cage back in the trunk. We drove to the next place and he followed us. And he followed us farther and farther and farther till we found a farm, which, um, we knew because our, our daughter is riding horses at the time. We went to that farm, let out the raccoon. But that's, raccoons are not, if you mess with them or their babies, they get mad. If you don't, they, do not, they are not a danger to humanity. But, but the reason that men have to do it is because women are afraid of, animals. I mean, that, that, yeah, you know, I mean, of course. my mother would have said that my father takes the garbage out. My mother would say this, I believe my father uh, would take the garbage out when he was alive because she didn't want to deal with the raccoons at the cans. Whoa. Right. Wow. Because, because, but, but that seemed perfectly, she said, if we do a trade-off, he does that. <laughs> I do other things. Exactly. I don't want to deal with it. We had a groundhog. We had a groundhog that every year would come up and come by the deck. Anyway, it was creating havoc. So they hired somebody to come with the have, have a heart trap, took the groundhog, you know, 30 miles away where it came from. And the same groundhog came back six times. Um, and she was like, we're not hiring anybody anymore because, you know, they just feel like they're getting a vacation and then they come back. Sure. Uh, but, a little um, bit like it's a little bit like censors. I have frequently said, and I'm sure it's in one of these books. Censors are like the dog that comes up to your place when you're sitting out on a patio and a dog comes up and you go, I'm sorry, the dog looks like it needs some food. I think I'll give it a bite of my sandwich. And then but do not be surprised because that dog, just like censors, are going to come back the next day and the day after that, because they have an expectation, you gave them something, or in the case of censors, you got rid of something, they will never, ever be satisfied. That's a beautiful thing to end on. But, I, but before we do end, I want you to tell people where they can find the book, where they can find you um, and your podcast. And um, I will put that, it'll get, end up in the notes as well. Yeah. Um, the easiest way to get this book is to go to bit is I have to spell this out. I never even go heard it. B-I-T dot L-Y slash Barry Lynn book. And it takes you to the publisher's webpage where you can get a discount if you buy all three volumes. And um, I also do have a, uh, a website called BarryWLynn.com. And on it I, is, an, is that interview with the Reverend Rob Shank, uh, an interview with Bill Baird, who is literally the creator of the concept of constitutional privacy. He's in his 90s. He has almost been scrubbed from the history books, in concluding by some people on the left. But he 
And and there's a bunch of, and there's a, a thing I did, oh, I don't know if I talked about this the last time, but I was a, um, they had a big uh, retirement party for me when I retired. Three weeks later, <clears throat> I nearly died. I had a serious heart condition. I didn't know I had it. Uh, mm. And um, so I nearly died. But Lewis Black, the comedian, I was writing little funny things on Facebook because although it was not a fun period of a month, but I, he said- It's part of, it's part wrote, of how you cope. Yeah, he, he, he wrote me, he said, Barry, I'm doing this show in Washington. Why don't you come and at the end, just do a rant because he does these rants at the end of his shows. And I said, look, you know, I'm not even sure I can speak because I'd lost my ability to speak. He said, I don't care if you have to whisper it, just do it. And it was really, and that's up uh, too on that. And I, really I sound like, I sound like I don't have much of a voice at the time because I didn't, but it was really eye-opening. I have three lessons that I'd like to leave people with. If you care about a cause, you can never give up on it. If you, no matter how controversial, if you think you are right, you can never give up on it. Then you can never do these, this work on your own. You need the people that will support it. And finally, you can never forget that there are real people behind whatever cause it is that you're trying to promote. It's the reality. If you do, as I did, changes the Vietnam veterans, uh, uh, terrible treatment, including from the US government. And there was a way to make sure they could get VA benefits. And I worked in a genuinely bipartisan way on this, but it wasn't until a Native American guy called me one day, he'd seen me on television, he said, I have this terrible thing happened to me. And he described it and it's in the book. And uh, he, he's the real person. It wasn't just theoretical. And no matter what you care about, if you care about sex workers and their right to organize, if you care about censorship and why it's bad under any circumstance, then you have to never forget that if you mess up, if you screw things up, it's not just you lost something, people will get hurt. Those are That's three rules. That is a perfect thing that, that I want to underscore for people because it's what happens is that people do forget that a lot of, um, particularly in any legal arena, a lot of things become yeah. intellectual mm -hmm. debates. There's yes. a lot of intellectual debate about a lot of things that doesn't yeah. actually look at the real person's experience. And the one thing I would add to that is that remember that your viewpoint as valid as it is, is not the only one. Right. And that it's really gonna do justice to whatever the issue is. If we could learn tolerance, mm -hmm. we could learn to respect what each other wants and treat each other the way we ask to be treated, not the way we think we should be sure. treated. Not sure. based on our own. I don't treat you as I want to be treated. I should be treating you as you want to be treated. And you should Perfect. treat me as I want to be treated. A lot of this stuff would clear up if we did just that. Just exactly. remember the real people and the real stories. You got it. Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, again, for listening. Uh, next week, the letter is Y. As always, if you have somebody you want to hear or a topic you want discussed, email me at Beth at drlaurybethbisbee.com. And I'm still running a monthly lottery. You get 30 minutes of free time with me if your name is chosen out of the basket of people who have written a review. Um, uh, this continues to be an issue. People still don't like writing reviews, but it is actually really helpful when people write podcast reviews and when they write book reviews. If you write a book review, you're welcome. I'm also usually have a few free signed books to give away. So that's another thing that you could get if you write a review. If you have a single question you want answered, I cannot guarantee I will answer it on the show, but I'll put it in my list of things for when I eventually do a Q&A show. If it's urgent, you can go on my shop, 
at drlauriebethbisbee.com and you can choose to have it answered by email or have it answered by video. Yes, there is a charge for this service, but I cannot tell you how many questions I get asked. <laughs> and I just, if I could spend my entire time answering individual questions. So if you want something to do with your individual situation, please do purchase one of those and I'm happy to do it. If you're patient and happy to wait, just send me the question and it does go in a file. And every few months I do a, um, at least one or two Q&A shows and you can get it there. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep safe, have fun, and I'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.